0: I really enjoyed seeing the Parthenon and being around a structure as ancient as that, a structure that has seen as much history. Here's a structure that has seen all of Christian history. Mm -hmm. Um, That was very fascinating. I really enjoyed uh, seeing the River Jordan. We were somewhere in the vicinity of where John was baptizing. Yeah. And so putting my hands in that water that that is so biblical that spot is near Qumran. Uh, Qumran is the place of what people may have heard of, the Dead Sea Scrolls. So Qumran was a community, sort of like a monastic community, of people who were called the Essenes, men, who lived in the desert. Uh, There's speculation that John the Baptist himself was an Essene, one of the members. Mm. And knowing that uh Romans were coming to conquer they hid manuscripts that they wrote of the old testament what we call the old testament in clay jars and hid them in caves near where they lived so that they wouldn't be destroyed and then these manuscripts were found these almost 2000 years later in this place Qumran and what's so fascinating about the manuscripts is that our oldest manuscripts of the scriptures were dating back to the middle ages here we have manuscripts that date back to biblical times and they're the same we see that the the manuscripts have been faithfully carried forward all the way into our own historical time
1: Welcome to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condorow. Welcome back to Tulsa Time with Bishop Condolo. We've been away for a couple weeks. It's good to have you back, Bishop. It's good to be back in studio. Yeah. You've been uh, out of not you've been out of not even the state, the country.
0: And uh this is what two episodes in, you're still in the tie. And so I'm still in the Way tie. to go. <laughs> way to stick that resolution. <laughs> yeah, we're a couple of weeks later because I was in fact gone on a Pilgrimage, the, uh-huh. my first pilgrimage to Jerusalem. You know, I lived for 15 years in the Holy Land at Texas AM. and <laughs> m <laughs> You never were going to get that in there. Um, no, I, uh, I belong to an organization called the Knights and Dames of the Holy Sepulchre. Okay. And this is an organization that, you know, has its beginnings back even in the Middle Ages, during the Crusades protecting the holy sites for pilgrims to come and visit. And these days, the Knights and Dames of the Holy Sepulchre support the Latin Patriarch in the Holy Land. And so um, the seminaries, the schools, the hospitals that he oversees, the parishes, you know, the Christian population in the Holy Land is down to about 2%. Mm-hmm. So a very small minority and uh, yet the work that is being done there of course is tremendously important and so one of the uh, activities of the members of the holy sepulcher is to make a pilgrimage to the holy land to receive a pilgrim's shell from the patriarch Uh and so for me this was my first time to do that so we took a group of 16 uh, over this is the perfect time of year the crowds are not excessive at this time of the year, the weather's very comfortable. Sixteen is a wonderful-sized group of people yeah, to, group. to try to go on a pilgrimage with. Intimate. intimate. Mm-hmm. And the goal of the pilgrimage, of course, is to experience the Lord, uh, to experience the Lord precisely by being in those places that the Lord was it's the similar kind of experience that one gets when one returns to the high school you went to. Uh, Or if you go visit the hometown of your spouse, uh, you have a deeper connection to this person because you've seen the place where they grew up, that kind of thing. And so that's what a Christian experiences on visiting the holy sites in the Holy Land this particular pilgrimage was styled, the itinerary was styled as a, a uh, following in the footsteps of St. Paul. So we began in Greece, in, in Athens. We spent three days in Athens, visited the places around Athens that are famous to visit, and then drove out to uh, Corinth, I think, and... Um, to see one of the places where Paul also went on his missionary journey to preach. Um, was the food was the food
1: great in Greece?
0: Yeah, the food was great. Mediterranean. We stayed in a hotel right below the Parthenon. Um, for me, one of the highlights of Greece was simply being in the the um, agora, the the uh, shopping area. Would have been the shopping area at the time when Paul was uh, speaking to the Greeks there and telling them, you Greeks are so religious, you even have an altar to an unknown God. And the God that you worship without knowing is Jesus Christ. And I know the God who you're worshiping. And that was happening right there in an area just below the Parthenon. So you You're standing here looking at what was a marketplace at that time. Right. And you turn around, and there's the Parthenon right over your shoulder. And so to to have this deeper realization as you're reading these passages from Acts and from Paul's letters, that he comes into this place with this kind of zeal and courage where he sees these tremendous... um, These uh, buildings that show a tremendous culture, a deep and rich culture, and yet he's not put off uh, by that at all, not intimidated by that at all, because he can see that though they have this deep, rich culture, they're missing who God is. They don't know that God is Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They don't know that there is a resurrection. They don't know what this life is for though they be philosophers and that sounds very familiar to, to yeah today today's it's, day and age exactly so so uh, you know that's another aspect of pilgrimage is is uh, experiencing how some things the more they have changed the more they have stayed the same right and um, you know the 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 other, aspect of pilgrimage that we can talk about that would be useful for our viewers is the way that going on this kind of a pilgrimage can help one grow in one's prayer. And so, okay, okay, uh, Bishop, I can't go on a pilgrimage. I, I have things to do, places to be, people to see. A whole what, bunch of kids running around. Kids Who's going to watch my kids? <laughs> running around. Uh, if you'll watch the kids, I'll go on the pilgrimage. Right. Um, so what can I do that, that will help me in my prayer? Well, I think a particular thing that a, a Holy Land pilgrimage helps a person in is that form of prayer that we call Lexio Divina. And so Lectio Divina, if you've not heard of it, is a type of holy reading. Normally we pick up a book and we read it and we're faced with a crunch of time and we gotta get through chapter three by XYZ. Lexia Divina does away with all of that. It usually uses scripture or some other holy writing. And the goal of the, of the reading is to spend time with God, not worry about the reading. And so one prays uh, to the Holy Spirit asking for wisdom and guidance as one enters this period of prayer. You pick up the Holy Text and you begin reading. But the goal is not to get through a lot of the text. The goal is to read until you feel some movement of the Spirit within you because of the text, and then to put the text aside and to sit with that and to uh, revel in that. The monastic mothers and fathers of the church used to the image of a cow chewing her cud. And that's what you're doing. You're using, you're chewing on these words, these holy words— and looking for what God may be saying to you in them. And so the way the pilgrimage helps that is because by being in these places and seeing yourself, where Jesus walked, where he ate, where he died, where he suffered, where he rose from the dead, where he was born, seeing the geography that he looked out on when he was on a boat on the Sea of Galilee, preaching to the people, he would turn around and he would see exactly what I'm looking at right here. Yeah. Uh, all of that helps one, when one reads scripture, to enter into it more deeply. And so that can aid one in, in this practice of lexio. Now, what if I can't go on a pilgrimage? Well, until you can go, because hopefully everyone can go eventually, Yeah. until you can go, you can look up on the internet, simply type in Virtual Holy Land pilgrimage. If you include the qualifier, uh, virtual Catholic Holy Land pilgrimage, something like that.
1: Sometimes I like to add Catholic in just random searches just to see what happens. You know, I'll be like, uh, suit, jacket, Catholic, mm. just see what happens. Like sometimes you never know what's going
0: to it should pull, pull up a Catholic manswag. <laughs> I mean, it, it's what it should do. Um, but you know. Lots of people will make virtual Holy Land pilgrimage videos or films or whatever. But uh, a Catholic Holy Land pilgrimage will emphasize different sites in different ways compared to others. And so I would recommend that. But I'm seeing here, for example, there's one by the Augustine Institute. There are, um, there's one here from EWTN one here from the Franciscan Fathers of the Holy Land, so any number of them, and one can watch those as a way of seeing what are these places and what are these sites. One of the the very important pilgrimage sites that one goes to see in Jerusalem is called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, Well, the Holy Sepulchre is the church that was built over the site of Jesus' crucifixion Mm. and his burial, the tomb. And one can enter into the tomb and place one's hands on the rock of the tomb where Jesus Mm. was buried, Uh, even celebrate a mass there as we did. Uh, That's tremendously impactful for a person in their prayer life. There's what's called the Via Dolorosa, the the way of suffering. In our churches, we recognize this as the Stations of the Cross. Well, one can walk the Stations of the Cross in the old city of Jerusalem precisely where the Lord walked on his way to Calvary. Hmm. And again, it it aids you in your contemplation of what the Lord did for us.
1: Yeah I want to go back a little bit to to this idea though of lexio divina it may be counterintuitive or or foreign I- idea of of doing something w- without for, for a non utilitarian purpose mm-hmm. uh you know f- of just almost wasting time with our lord like you know you see uh, two couples at At a restaurant, right? And and the first couple is the young couple. They just got married and they're just talking, 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 talking back and forth. And then you see another couple at a restaurant and they're, you know, uh, they've been together for a long time and they're just quietly eating dinner Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lexi and Davina is kind of more like the just spending time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... Again, I think it's a little counterintuitive with, especially uh, even for me. Like when I'm reading something, I'm trying to get through it. Like you said, to try to, you know, okay, good. I finished this book. Now I can go on. How like how do I fight that? How do I com- how do I combat that idea of 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 just slowing down and and not trying to uh, get through the text to to be done, or or even just to hurry and get to this feeling. Uh, I don't want to hurry to get to a feeling. I yeah. just want to be with God,
0: right? Yeah, I think we might also talk about why would you want to? What would be the point? Sure, yeah. And um, you know, God is not one thing on a list of things in our life. So we can't say that you know, I have a list of the top ten most important things and God is the top of that list. That's not quite what we want. God is everything, and I have a top 10 list of important things. Okay, God is beyond even that. Um, The funny adage that uh, if God is your co-pilot, you're sitting in the wrong seat. (laughs) So, So it's a way of saying that God is not one thing among other things in our life. God is everything. I saw the funny uh, clip recently of the young boy who's saying his friend asked him if he needed Jesus to go to heaven. And he responded, brother, you need Jesus to go to Walmart. <laughs> so, it's, a, it's a way of saying that that God is everything. Okay, if that's true, then spending time with God, focused on God alone, the the purpose of this time is for God and it has no other purpose, Hmm. it has no utilitarian purpose, Uh, then that becomes uh, the reason why we want to slow down. The monks at Gethsemane Monastery in Kentucky, it's a Trappist monastery, cloistered monastery, and over the entry gate is a single stone lintel, and it says, God alone, and that's it. The monks who live there, walk through that gate and close it behind them, intending to stay there for the rest of their life and focus their life and prayer on God alone. They work so that they can live. They do manual work. But their purpose even of their work is to balance out their life so that they can spend their life productively in Lexio Divina. So they'll spend hours a day in this kind of holy reading. Mm. They're not in a hurry to get through anything. They're simply there at God's disposal, you could say. So that's the purpose of it. If we try to rush through something like Lexio Divina, God is, is a a whisper, and we'll be disturbing that, Um it, it will cause, you know, you can think of a pond. We look at the beautiful still water on a pond, just a little pebble out there, and we've got ripples and we can't see. So when we're practicing lexio or any kind of contemplative or meditative kind of prayer, we're letting go of utility and recognizing that God is worthy of my life and of my time, and so I'm going to give him these 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use the scriptures. I have sometimes going into a chapel to to pray lexio divina and felt a movement in me that prevented me from even opening the book hmm. felt a movement in me that says just sit here and be quiet and then i just sit there and be quiet i don't even need the book in that moment because i'm i'm already experiencing and, and engaged in what the book is ultimately going to lead me to. But more often, I'm reading mm-hmm. the scripture. Yeah, yeah. So this. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No.
1: Uh, I was going to say this is the, the the part of the imagination, right, that plays mm-hmm. such a, a role in uh, in prayer, mm-hmm. right? And, and the purpose of like being able to go on a pilgrimage is is it brings to life. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bible. It's like the fifth. Uh, uh, the fifth gospel you know it brings to life all of the bible right uh to where you can pull from that like if or the chosen or any kind of uh mm-hmm. you know movie uh where you can pull from that and and enter into prayer uh and i think even some of the the spiritual masters say it, you know at, at some point you know you use those spiritual books or, or or the bible to propel you to that contemplation yeah uh and as soon as you get there you don't need that anymore and right. As you grow and you 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 grow in your spiritual life, you'll need that book less and less. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, your your reading will still be important. It's the structure, right? It provides sort of the trestle that the rose grows on, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not the point. Right. The relationship with God is the point. Uh, people do call a holy land pilgrimage the fifth gospel. Some people do refer to it that way. And again, we're talking about virtual pilgrimages and, and their usefulness. But other things like you just mentioned, the, one of the reasons why I like The Chosen is not because it's the way that everything happened, right. but because it's a way. It's an imaginative way of understanding from Scripture who these people were and how they might have been, what their personality may have seemed like, how, how their language would have come. Uh, also, uh, people have heard me say before, uh, Franco Zeffirelli's movie, Jesus of Nazareth. Beautiful. Uh, really helpful in terms of trying to think, for myself, how do I imagine Jesus looked? Mm-hmm. How do I imagine he talked? If he was looking at me, what do I think his eyes would look like as he looks at me? Uh, a way of praying that way, a way of desiring to see that in prayer. Well, if I want to imagine what Jesus might have looked at as he looks at me, I'm probably not going to be able to rush into that. Right. I certainly can't make that happen. What I can do is dispose myself to God and that's what it's about. Lexio is a way of disposing myself to God, putting myself at His disposal. Do you think that there's a, a temptation of somebody who may
1: do this for the very first time of of, of trying too long or trying to figure out, uh, you know, wait for that spiritual moment or feeling? Mm-hmm. Uh, is there dangers in 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 waiting for emotional highs or lows with the uh, with your prayer life?
0: Well, and. It- A constant, one of the themes that is spoken of throughout all of spiritual uh, literature is distraction, fatigue, boredom, all the more so for us now, because one of the, as I've said before, one of the dangers, one of the things that we need to be cautious about with our devices is that compared to say reading novels reading stories and scrolling through facebook or twitter or things like that reading news sound bites etc all of those things have a way of training our mind to think in terms of small bites mm-hmm. so that it becomes difficult for us to invest ourselves in 30 minutes of something right uh, and so The fact that that's difficult is a reason why we should do it, because it's less human to to not have that ability to sit and to to enter more deeply into, say, a meditative uh, type of prayer. So Mm -hmm. if a person sits with intending to pray with Lectio Divina and finds that they're distracted, if you get worried about the distraction— then it's going to distract you, right? You're thinking, you're distracted about the distractions,
1: thought. You like, you're thinking about a thinking about a thought.
0: Well, <laughs> precisely because you imagine that I've come here to pray with God, right. and here I am distracted thinking about the TV show I saw last night. Oh, what kind of terrible person I must be! If you allow that to happen, then the distraction is totally taking you away. If, on the other hand, you are praying and you recognize, oh, I'm not. (laughs) I was reading the Gospel of Luke, and now I'm making my grocery list. Right. As soon as you realize that, without any judgment at all, you put it aside and say, but I want to read the Gospel of Luke, and so I just return to it. Mm -hmm. Then the distraction doesn't get in the way. Right. It's simply something that's there. It's like gnats that buzz around your face. Those gnats are not going to bother you unless you get focused on them. Right. But if you just leave them alone and attend to what you're doing, then they're there, but they don't bother you. So similar to this kind of prayer.
1: Yeah, the, the importance of you know having your appetites under control, right? And this is the whole point that the church gives us beautifully, you know, seasons of fasting. Mm-hmm. You know, so that way your appetites don't dominate uh, in, during prayer or other things. Uh, you can you, Your will can be stronger than, than what your appetites are, so you, you can put that away to focus on the higher goods, the yeah. contemplative
0: life. And the person who's going to run a marathon doesn't begin with the marathon. Right, right. So if one is new to meditative types of prayer, uh, Eucharistic adoration or prayer that's done in Eucharistic adoration or in a quiet chapel somewhere, if one is new to that, one may want to spend short times at it at the beginning mm-hmm. and build up over time to more and more time with it. Uh, eventually, you will run up against the amount of time that is prudent for you to spend. Sure. And so that's going to differ. A, uh, we, we recently had the Feast Day of St. Francis de Sales, and one of his great... Uh, wise sayings was that it would be ridiculous and preposterous for a Carmelite nun to be running around town shopping all day that's not her vocation but it would be just as ridiculous for a housewife and a mother of children to be berating herself that all she does is run around shopping all day she doesn't get to spend hours in prayer that's not her vocation right so we all have our own vocation. Our own vocation provides for us sort of the template of what our prayer life will likely look like, and that's what we pursue.
1: What was your uh, favorite part about your pilgrimage?
0: Uh, several, you know, that's a, that's a question, of course, that... A lot of people ask you probably. Yeah, it's, it's a very good and obvious question for someone who's been on a pilgrimage. What did you like best? And the thing about this kind of a pilgrimage is that it's so rich that it's hard to to give a a single answer. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed seeing the Parthenon and being around a structure as ancient as that, a structure that has seen as much history. Here's a structure that has seen all of Christian history. Mm -hmm. Um, That was very fascinating. I really enjoyed uh, seeing the River Jordan we were somewhere in the vicinity of where john was baptizing yeah and so putting my hands in that water that is that is so biblical that spot is near Qumran Uh, Qumran is the place of what people may have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls so Qumran was a community sort of like a monastic community of people who were called the Essenes men who lived in the desert Uh, there's speculation that John the Baptist himself was an Essene, one of the members. Mm. And knowing that uh, Romans were coming to conquer, they hid manuscripts that they wrote of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, in clay jars and hid them in caves near where they lived so that they wouldn't be destroyed. And then these... Manuscripts were found these almost 2,000 years later in this place, Qumran. And what's so fascinating about the manuscripts is that our oldest manuscripts of the scriptures were dating back to the Middle Ages. Here we have manuscripts that date back to biblical times, and they're the same. We see that the, the manuscripts have been faithfully carried forward all the way into our own historical time. Uh, so that was fascinating to see. Uh, the Holy Sepulchre, I think that church and what's in that church would would have to count as my favorite spot. But we also saw Nazareth, the place where Jesus is uh, born. In Bethlehem, where he's born. Nazareth, where he grew up and lived. Uh, Cana, where the the great wedding miracle happened. We took a boat Did out. Did you have wine? Did you have wine while you there? I mean... At Cana, we may have, we, you know, at <laughs> I mean, lunch. It's
1: like, it's like the, you know, the wedding feast at Cana. You, you well, get, you uh,
0: drink water and it turns it into.
1: Turns water. into water, Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: we took a boat out onto the Sea of Galilee, and so oh, cool. you have that experience of what the Lord may have seen on mm-hmm. uh, on those waters. Uh, so those were all fascinating parts of the yeah. of the trip.
1: Well, it's great to have you back. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's great to have you back here in the diocese, and I'm sure you've been uh,
0: having to do a lot of catch up. Uh, yeah, it's a this. delayed experience of the new year because we left right after the new year, in that first week after the new year, and so I haven't been here in the new year. So yeah,
1: so it's good to have you back. Mm-hmm. And I think next week we're going to talk about uh, a, a paper that you wrote quite a while ago. Well, I before think before you the, were a bishop, correct? Yeah.
0: The general topic I think we want to try to talk about is. Uh, marriage. And marriage prep. And related to marriage and to the health of marriage is its beginning. And so marriage preparation, uh, you know, I was in campus ministry for all those years and we did a lot of marriage preparation. And it is such an important uh, ministry of the church to help couples and work with couples in preparing themselves well for this blessed sacrament of marriage Uh, So that they have discerned it carefully and enter it well.
1: Good. Well, uh, I'm excited to talk about it. It was the first time that I'd I'd read that article as well. Mm So uh, we'll put that in the show notes. But um, yeah, the
0: article deals with a specific one of the one of one of. I mean, there are many. Right. uh, But one of the pastoral challenges of working with couples who are engaged is if the couple is already living together in a cohabited relationship. How does one help a couple? to see what are the what are the challenges now, since we're living this way, what are, what kind of challenges is that going to present to our effectively preparing for marriage? Right. So, I look forward to it. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for tuning in to Tulsa
1: Time. Be sure to like and subscribe and, and share with some of your friends and family. We also have some of the episodes on the Eastern Oklahoma Catholic Magazine. If you don't have that, you can reach out to us. I uh, will be happy to send you one for free. I'm Adam Minahan.